You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Good morning and welcome to Kootenai Community Church Adult Sunday School. And this morning we'll be looking at the book of Philippians. And if you would, turn to chapter 3 and we'll begin with verse 15. I just want to read the text that we'll be examining this morning and then... We'll ask the Lord to guide us and bless his word. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained, Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame." who set their minds on earthly things. We'll stop there, and let's go to the Lord and ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together collectively to worship you, to be able to examine your word, and also to praise and honor you with worship and praise and songs and the preaching and proclamation of your word. We just thank you for the privilege and provision that you give us. And Lord, we ask that you would bless your word now as we examine these texts that your servant Paul has penned by your inspiration. We just give you thanks now and ask that you would guide us in understanding and applying these truths to our lives, to your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at the beginning of verse 15, Paul says, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect. Now this phrase, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, is describing the positional status of all believers. That is, our righteousness in Christ positionally, not practically. Practically, we are being sanctified daily. And God is working in and through us daily to set us apart for his glory. Paul, in this verse, acknowledging that we're all in this race. Remember, he uses the metaphor of a race. And throughout many of his epistles, he uses sport illustrations and primarily running illustrations. So in this particular passage, he's using a running 
illustration. When Paul describes as many as are perfect, and we think of that imputed righteousness, the author of Hebrews also likened that same thought in Hebrews 10, verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Speaking of the believers. Paul here is, of course, not speaking about practical sanctification being full in Christ because he's already acknowledged in previous verses, not that I have attained, but forgetting those things that are behind, I press toward the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. So Paul, even though he is pursuing Christ's righteousness and fullness in his life, he realizes that that pursuit is never fulfilled completely in this life, only when we're glorified. And yet, his lifelong pursuit is to know Christ intimately and fully as much as he is able in this side. The apostle actually uses also a play on words because he's talking about the positionally perfect, uh, referring to Christians, but also remember back at the beginning of this chapter, Paul was addressing these Judaizers who were trying to also teach Christians that they could be fully sanctified by works of the law. And so Paul rebuked them, and he's trying to get them to realize it isn't anything that we do. It is Christ's grace in us, working through us to accomplish his will. Then Paul gave, of course, a litany of all that he did as a Pharisee. And he counted it all as rubbish. And he recognizes how important it is to teach these believers in the town of Philippi because amongst those believers, there's the Judaizers. And there's also professing Christians, which he will address in this text that we are currently looking at. A Christian should have the same attitude as Paul did. Have this attitude comes from the word proneo, which literally means to think this way or to set one's mind on this. The apostle was a perfect example of one of those whose mind was totally and completely focused on pursuing the prize of Christ's likeness. The challenge to the Philippians by Paul was for them, as well as all Christians, to pursue the goal of moral and spiritual righteousness and holiness. He wanted the believers to try to attain spiritual perfection, though through practice of the law, these Judaizers were trying to say that that could be accomplished. Paul said, no, I haven't attained that. Not that I have attained that. And so then he goes on, if the Philippians follow this rule as laid down with respect to the minor points of application, 
the Lord will correct him. He says this, and observe those who walk, join in following my example, and observe those who walk, oh, sorry. Let us have this attitude, and if anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you. What does he mean? What he means is follow those Christians that are living fully for Christ. And if they're not agreeing on some areas, God will reveal that to them. How? Through his word and by the work of his Holy Spirit in us, we can have truth, understanding, and application in our lives. So Paul wanted them to be Christ-centered and centered only on what God has revealed to us to live out in their lives. If the Philippians follow this rule with respect to the minor points of application, the Lord will correct them. And yet, the principle, we're still far from perfect in Christ, yet we should continue striving towards the image of Christ. If through special revelation, God's word, God gives us his word, he will reveal to us the essence of how we grow in Christ. By the enablement of God's Holy Spirit, we're able to understand as well as apply the truths of God's word. As a mature, wise apostle, Paul understood that not all believers would pursue Christ in a disciplined and relentless way. Paul follows up with these words. If in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. Those in Philippi who didn't exhibit the same strength of pursuit that Paul was exhibiting, he wanted them to follow those who modeled that Christian life. God is faithful to continue his work in us in the sanctifying process. He also gives us resources to do so. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Peter gives us that in 2 Peter verse 1, chapter 1, verse 3. In this earthly race, the price is perishable. When runners would run a race in Rome or in Corinth, they received a wreath that was, imper- that was a perishable wreath. They got privilege also. They would get free meals in restaurants or places of eat, food served. They would get preeminent places to sit at the Olympic Games. They would honor them in many ways, but the prize was that of a perishable crown. <clears throat> Yet, Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9.25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Our crown 
of righteousness which we receive in glory is imperishable. It's eternal. And yet, here, Paul's making the comparison to these athletes. They trained, they disciplined their bodies, they ate dietary food that would help them in their strength and then in ways that they could succeed and excel in the Olympic Games that they had, as well as the Istrian Games they held in Corinth. So these were trained, disciplined athletes that Paul was referring to, and he likened that to a disciplined Christian, one who is keeping himself, his body under control by the power of the Holy Spirit, one who is disciplined in their lives and in their daily conduct. That's what reflects Christ. It isn't when we're meeting here on Sundays, shaking hands and smiling. It's during the week when we're working or when we're interacting with others or perhaps interacting with unbelievers. That's when we need to recognize that it isn't just on occasions where you're gathering with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's God working in us daily to manifest the fruit of righteousness through His people. In 2 Timothy, uh, Paul says this, 2 Timothy 4.8, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul just looked forward to glory and being with Christ. He looked forward to praising God, casting his crowns before the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he pursued with all his heart, mind, and strength that Christ-likeness as God empowered him. In verse 16, Paul says, However, let us keep living by that same standard which we have attained. The word however comes from the Greek word plin, which could be translated one more thing. Instead of saying however, he could have said just one more thing I have to add to you. It's often used to express a final thought. The last prerequisite for pursuing the prize might also be described as consistency and perseverance. The apostle, when writing Corinthians, said, I I understood and applied this discipline in his own pursuit and likeness. Paul said this, Keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. The phrase keep living comes from the word sto echeo, which means to line up or follow in line. Going back to the use of the metaphor running, we stay in the line. Think of a runner staying in a lane. They're lined up in lanes, the lanes are marked, and if they're not paying attention, if they're distracted, They could lose sight of the goal, get into another lane, trip or fall, or cause others to fall. And Paul is using that illustration. In 1 Corinthians 
chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, he says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. How often, uh, as Christians, do we quickly try to point out the flaws of another brother or sister, and yet ourselves are perhaps not examining the speck or the log that's in our own eye. We need to be able to live a translucent life. Our lives daily should not be different. Whether we're at work, home, or celebrating with a collective worship, we should have the same attitude in Christ and live to glorify Him. Now Paul gives an admonition to the Philippians in verses 17 to 21. He makes a transition here. He was exhorting them and giving them instruction on their daily conduct or their walk. That's always translated in the New Testament as our daily conduct. Now, he turns to give them a warning. He's giving them an admonition. He says, Brothers, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now, throughout history, there have been uh, many enemies of the cross, In the first century, there was the Judaizers, the Epicureans. There was the beginning of Gnosticism. Those who were antinomian, which Paul addressed in the book of Romans in chapter 5 or chapter 6. That is, they were without the law. They, They claimed, well, if in our sin, grace abounds, we'll continue to sin, that grace may abound. And Paul rebuked them sternly in verse 1 of chapter 6 by using the strong word may genitas, may it never be. We should be living holy and uh, sinless lives, yet we do fall because we live in this flesh. Yet Paul is talking about the pursuit of continuing on in Him through the grace of God, repentance, confession, and the recognition of our sin before Christ and the restoration of our communion with Him. In the pursuit of Christ's likeness in both conduct and service, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in his commentary on the book of Philippians. He encourages to believe, uh, believers to read some of the writings of the early reformers and the Puritans as well, to glean the depth of insight and devotion 
to the Lord. By reading biographies and autobiographies of some of these great men and women, we see the depth of their love for their Savior and God's Word. <clears throat> There's, <clears throat> there are so many godly saints from whom we can learn and follow their example in our daily practice, end quote. So he was encouraging us to look at some of the saints of old, not just uh, reading some kind of a Christian devotional, but actually reading some of the biographies of these great men, that had the early reformers that lived godly lives and set an example for others to follow. <clears throat> In the commentary from John MacArthur on the book of Philippians, he makes some interesting and very provocative statements regarding the contemporary church. He cites the effect of the impact of humanistic psychology, which has impacted the church today. One of the basic assumptions of modern psychology is that people exist for their own satisfaction. The primary goal of life, then, is for people to have all their perceived needs and desires met. Only then will they be happy, content, and fulfilled, end quote. So some of the contemporary presentations of the gospel in that realm are man-centered, not Christ-centered. They focus on man and his felt needs. That's a perversion of the gospel. And that's what Paul is warning about here, some of those who have lived in that way. <clears throat> They will canvas areas, some of these uh, felt needs or sinker-sensitive church plants. They will send out flyers. I received one, and it had questions like, do you get tired and bored as you attend the church? Isn't it just like you were as a child, sitting in the pew, bored? Well, we want to know what you want or what you think the church should be. Let us know, and we want to meet those needs. I mean, it was full of appeal to man's felt needs. Nothing about the Word of God or glorifying God together in collective worship. No, it was addressing men and their felt needs. <clears throat> This is becoming one of the fastest growing movements across the United States. One of the most prominent, perhaps, and most glaring is that of the prosperity gospel. Now, I had to force myself a couple of times to watch some of these prosperity teachers, and it's really sickening. It really is. At first, it was humorous, but then I realized there are people, perhaps hundreds of thousands and perhaps millions watching television evangelists. And that is what they're hearing that a Christian should attain, health and wealth and well-being. And that's the pursuit that they appeal to the people. Of course, they have to send dollars to them so they can receive the prayer cloths and all those kind of things. But they're con artists. 
and they're presenting a false gospel, a heretical gospel. And yet, many of the contemporary pseudo-Christian churches are filled with that type of congregation. <clears throat> the sub-Christian need theology is completely in opposition to what the Scriptures teach. The biblical gospel is that man is sinful from birth and is at enmity with God and hopelessly lost. And the true call of the gospel is the call to repentance and complete trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Deeply moved what Paul was about to write, he addresses the Philippians with the endearing word, brethren. The phrase, join in following my example, literally translates in the original, be fellow imitators of me. The apostle urged the Philippians to imitate the way he lived. This wasn't out of arrogance or pride. Paul was actually humble enough to say, I want to be able to help you live as Christ lives through me. There are numerous examples in the New Testament that record Paul's failures as well as his triumphs. In Acts 23.3, Paul addressed the Romans when he said this, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you use it to try to <clears throat> try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? Following that outburst of anger, Paul repented in Acts 23.5. When Paul struggled with pride, the Lord left him a thorn in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Paul declared that his grace was sufficient and he'd rather suffer and be weak so that God's power could be perfected in him. <clears throat> Even three decades after Paul's conversion, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul said he was the chief of sinners. So Paul didn't have an exalted view of himself. He had an exalted view of Christ and was encouraging other believers to follow him as he followed Christ. His example was Christ, not him. It's Christ living in and through him. <clears throat> Since Paul was imperfect, imperfect, he was an example believers could follow. Why? Because he demonstrated how he could overcome his imperfections in Christ. He was able to model how a Christian struggle in their lives and yet can persevere in Christ. He was able to overcome trials, disappointments, as well as failures. Christ is the perfect and supreme preeminent example for us to emulate. But Christ did not have to pursue perfection. He was indeed perfection, perfectly holy, in all his attributes. 
the apostle pursued the unattainable spiritual perfection. And so in his pursuit, he modeled Christian virtue. He modeled morality and the ability to overcome the flesh, to obtain victory over temptation as he submitted to God and allowed God's spirit to work in him and through him. He demonstrated as well patience and endurance while suffering. He also displayed godly contentment. It didn't matter where Paul was or what, how much or how little he had. He was always content in what, who he was in Christ. So he had godly contentment. <clears throat> in the second chapter of this epistle, we looked at it previously, but in <clears throat> verse 5 through 8, he said, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So the apostle wanted Christians to model Christ's character especially as they lived in this Roman city of Philippi, which was full of worldliness and wickedness of all kinds. It was just like it was a small, mini Rome. There was rampant immorality. The Philippians themselves had a firsthand observation of Paul's life, his maturity, and his Christian virtues, not only firsthand, but also through testimonies of other believers and also through the letters, which became the epistles that we now read. The apostle was not placing himself on a pedestal at all. If he were perfect, he wouldn't be a good model because nobody can attain perfection in this life. The Philippians, surrounded by immorality and many pagans and nominal Christians, the Philippians needed a concrete example of Christian devotion as well as daily practice. The apostle had every right to appoint to himself as an example. He was an example. As well as was Timothy and Epaphroditus. They were able to see these men living out their faith, being tested on all sides. Paul also gave the Philippians another imperative. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. The word observe comes from the word skopeo, which is the verb form translated goal. In verse 14, it could be translated to fix your gaze upon. In other words, keep our eyes focused on the goal. What is the goal? The pursuit of the prize of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Paul is saying focus in your daily conduct or your walk. 
It's also it's always referring to our daily conduct. And according to the correct pattern, the one you have in us. He was able to model that, as well as Timothy and Epaphroditus, and most likely other fellow elders in Philippi, those that they could look to as mature believers, giving him an example as they lived out their Christian faith. Who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Those mature Christians who were demonstrating in their daily conduct a love for Christ and a love of consistent obedience to his word. That's what that love produces. Paul's example to the Philippian believers was also evidenced in his writings as well. He wrote all the epistles, of course, that we have from the various cities where he ministered the gospel. Paul warned about these enemies, and this is the way he said it. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. In verse 18, he says, For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross. That's verse 18. So Paul now is focusing in on these that are enemies of the cross. Let's look at that. These enemies, which Paul warned them about, did not seem to be openly hostile toward the gospel. They weren't trying to refute the gospel. They were just not living according to the gospel. They were living for themselves. And they posed as Christians, somehow tried to identify with Christianity. There must have been uh, several of whom Paul included as enemies of the cross in Philippi. They deceived themselves and perhaps had a more sinister influence upon those who listened to them or perhaps watched them thinking that they were supposed to be Christian examples. These enemies of whom the apostle warned the Philippian believers may have been imposters themselves, trying to align themselves or posing as Christians, similar to the ones that Paul warned about in Corinthians when he said this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and 14. There are many that disguise themselves as angels of light within the Christian churches. The apostle warned the Philippians Christians to be on guard. That is, to be able to discern who were the enemies. And how do we discern? What's that discernment based on? It's based on truth. And what we have in some of the contemporary quasi-Christian churches is watered down, not even the milk of the words, not even clear doctrinal teaching. There's much that's being given out as Christian teaching that doesn't even line up with clear interpretive exposition of God's Word. The New Testament is replete with warnings about false teachers, 
are those posing as Christians, yet enemies of the cross. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He was speaking at the Sermon on the Mount, and that was chapter 7 and verse 15 in the book of Matthew. The book of Acts records several of these false teachers. Simon Magus in Acts 8, 9 through 24. So there was much rejoicing in the city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the power, the great power of God. Then they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving, this is after they gave them the gospel, then they began laying hands on them, and they began receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord, if possible, who's in... the intentions of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. So that man watching the apostles giving the gospel and then laying hands on those recipients at that time, that was also a sign they would lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Simon observing that, he wanted that power. Not for the glory of God, but for that power to glorify him. These enemies of the cross, which Paul warned, didn't seem to be that hostile toward the, the gospel. And yet they were sometimes false teachers amongst them and deceitful workers. Paul wanted them to be able to discern, and the only way we discern people's behavior and actions and our own actions and behavior is through the mirror of God's Word. That's the truth that we make the comparative with. Before we continue on any further, I want to continue in this... uh, admonition that Paul is giving these Philippians, but we're running out of time here. For today, I just want to bring and summarize the essence of what Paul was saying in this context that we examine today. He was pursuing Christ with all his heart, mind, and soul. He warned about the false teachers, and he also warned about the false prophets and those amongst them that were actually enemies of the cross. We should not be angry 
or attack those that do not know Christ. And when we approach them, if they are claiming to be Christians, we can bring forth truth for correction and instruction in righteousness. If they are actually members of a body and they're under the authority of a body, then you can go through the process of bringing them to repentance. Either way, the goal is to bring forth the gospel or to restore those that are in error. That is the whole purpose with Paul's focus here. He wanted them to recognize truth and discern error. And he wanted to equip them to do so. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for these exhortations as well as admonitions from your servant Paul. And Father, we pray that we might be a discerning believer, that we might use your word as the guide to reveal to us truth as well as error. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to illuminate and enable us and empower us to practice your word. And we pray we may do so to your glory. As we continue now, Lord, in word and praise and song, as well as a proclamation of your word, we pray that you would be glorified and that you would edify your saints. And we just pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.